this week on Log It. We're here to discuss the 1974 slasher, Black Christmas. We're going Dark Christmas, Murder Christmas. I'm here with my good friend, Angelo. Also, pick the movie. What's up, Angelo? Hey, yo, what's up, man? It's been a minute. It's been too long. How are you doing? Doing good, man. Doing great. It's, I mean, it's the holidays, and I think about the nice Christmas carolers out there and all the expensive shopping we have to do <laughs> yeah. at this time of year. But it, it's just, like, wonderful to see. Everyone seems happy, and... Sometimes I'm like, you know, within this happiness, there's scary shit. And, and one of the scariest shit is Black Christmas. And the movie I'm so excited to talk to you about today. So I'm happy to be here, man. That was a good segue to back to the movie. That was well done. <laughs> I was trying to work my way, but just with the emotions of current times. And yeah, no, thank you. Actually, you've been uh, this season really drawn to horror movies this Christmas. I've been watching a lot of Christmas movies, too, or maybe more like thrillers like not to jump the last four gun but i watched leave the world behind which i really enjoyed and for some reason just hit the spot at christmas time i don't know why but i it was it was yeah. it was fun for me which i've heard a lot of mixed reviews i know that's a very heated yeah movie. well i was gonna save that when we talked got into our last four because that was that's a movie that's my last okay, four cool. that Let's i watched save it, but um <laughs> But Black Christmas was fun as well. That was the point. It was fun having a horror Christmas movie, which I know there's a few of them, but this is one of the best ones. One of the first slasher movies, sort of, I think, Mm -hmm. from my point of view. Yeah. My, my, you know, so we'll get into that first. Before we get into last four, you've been doing a lot of really cool stuff Mm -hmm. lately uh, around L.A. Is there anything you would want to talk about? on the show well one of them well it's gonna be my last four which i'll, I'll save okay i'll cool. save that one for sure la comic-con was crazy nice. i've never been to comic-con before and it's you know i've always wanted to go like san diego always looked like the most eventful place for even like not just comic book fans like i guess movie tv fans There's always like launches with the actual cast and crew yeah. of all the movies and productions and but yeah, we went to the one in LA. It was cool. It was uh, we yeah, I got to see the Rain Wilson in the office. Cool. Got to see the the whole cast. Oh no, it's, it's just Rain Wilson and uh, Toby. Oh nice, uh, Toby Flunderson. Yeah, yeah, they're they're both uh, doing a whole panel like recapping on. But it was some sort of like special, and I never thought I I didn't even know they were gonna be there. I didn't even see that on the the, the, the roster. Dude, that rules. But yeah, it was wild to see them. The Lord of the Rings cast too. Uh, Elijah Wood. Sean Austin, uh, Billy Boyd, Dude. and Dominic Monaghan. And I was like, I was just staring into like, whoa, like this is really happening. It pinched me. I'm dreaming. Like these are like childhood heroes, man. Like never thought you'd see them at a Comic Con. And it's almost like this is kind of cool having like not just like every brand new thing that's coming out. They have like retrospective panels. And yeah. they have all the guys. Because it, it was the 20th anniversary of uh, Return of the King, Crazy. which also blows my mind that 20 years I was sitting in that theater, like witnessing a grand freaking movie in one of the greatest like i don't know one of the greatest holiday movies my experience is beyond christmas and seeing lord rings the theater was one of the most one of the best christmases of my life hmm. just seeing that movie and being festive about it it was so cool man but it's, that's fun that's why they're so friends like you sense it they're not just like bsing i feel like there was a genuine like connection like they're all they're all familiar they're like brothers you know they're all just digging around and <laughs> yeah it was awesome it was awesome seeing them and many more i feel like i could go all day it was just wild to see some of those actors and, that's wild and people. yeah that's cool man recently we went to uh we didn't get into the screening but we got to stand by the red carpet for the wonka premiere and uh, 
crazy so many crazy people and i never thought you'd see there like keegan michael key it's like so cool seeing that guy Dope. and uh john stamos just randomly like, oh my god this guy's immortal he looks exactly the same <laughs> for the last 30 years <laughs> you know i wish we could all get we got to take tips from john stamos like how do you what was your secret him and paul rudd you know what are your guys' secrets yeah. so, like looking charming still at very old near 60 year old age yeah they, they were, yeah oh yeah <laughs> it's wild and then yeah, Hugh Grant, and then yeah, the, the man himself, Timothy Chalamet, it was wild Dang, running into dude. this guy. Very sweet guy. I was very like, okay. Because I was like, this guy, this, I was like, man, every girl's after gung-ho about this dude. <laughs> What's so special about this dude, yeah. you know? But then I saw him in person, it's like, you know what? He's got a really warm, nice smile, very, like, welcoming, very, like, I got you, dude. What's it up, was real. Man? Like, no, no, it was cool. It was cool, man. Good vibes. Good. It was just wild. I was like, oh, this guy, man. It's like, wow, like, he's real. He's a real dude right in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And that's a big, those are big shoes to <laughs> fill. Like, I, the, I know the Johnny Depp Wonka isn't as beloved, maybe. I, I mean, I don't know, but they're, both of them are pretty iconic. Like, you know, love it or hate it, the Johnny Depp Wonka was a big deal still. Yeah, and that and honestly, uh, the trailer was giving me like you saw kind of like more Johnny Depp. It was like there was like there's like a middle line. I feel like he's doing Jim Wilder, but also something Johnny Deppy about hmm. it. And the Johnny Depp one is uh, my head always spins around. I'm like, do I really like this movie or do I really not? Sometimes I don't know because I love the original so much. Where the new one is very, I don't know. This is yeah, I have to agree. It's like very Michael Jackson, very creepy. Because Gene Wilder was just weird, but he also had some heart though. There was some passion for there sure. Was something like. Still, like, yeah, underlying and creepy, but he also had, like, something warm about him, too. Something warm and very nice. Like, when he, the, like, I don't know, we'll get into that. I know it's on my last four, so I'm already, no, <laughs> like, good. I should save some more the Willy Wonka. But, yeah, it's, you know, I know, I wish him luck. I'm excited to see the movie, and it was just, like, wow, I, he felt really nice. And maybe, yeah, we'll see. Maybe he might be a great Wonka. Very, very excited for it, so. But it was wild. Like, you never thought you'd meet someone like him. You know, it was just, you know. Yeah, it was it was crazy. <laughs> very very grateful to yeah. I mean, he's like the guy right now, so that's wild. I mean, that's like about as big big a star as there is. Uh, pretty close, I would say. Yeah, it was crazy, and and also the last the last thing I'll mention before we move yeah, on is a crazy one I never thought to, which I felt ashamed because like my friends like, oh, this this screening we're going to is just a screening; it's not a premiere, and I was like. Okay, well, I, I'm you know helping my dad make you know put up the Christmas lights. I just got my casual clothes. I'll just drive over. Sure, it's casual. It's just, it's just a screening. Yeah. And then we go, and I'm like, wait, where where was, so where are we gonna park? It's at the the Peterson Auto Museum on I think it said uh, past sunset. Okay, but I was like, is there a theater in this? That I've been here before. <laughs> it's a bunch of cars on every level. I don't think there's an auditorium here. It's so big, but it's. Every room is just like oh, endless cars. So I'm like, is that the red swirly it? building? Yes, that red swirly building in like Beverly Hills. Yeah, yeah. All, uh, by the Hollywood Grove. Area. Yes, yes, by the Grove. And I was like, okay, there's no theater here. We're lighting and then we're, they're taking us inside. Like, oh, we're going to the Academy Museum. I was like, uh oh. <laughs> I was already like, a, I mean, okay, maybe it's just the Academy Theater. Whatever. I never, I never been to the Academy. I've heard they do screenings there. Dude. So we we go there, and then I see through the glass like blocked off area. I see through the peak hole. Like, wait, no, that's a red carpet in there. There's all this like nice like backdrops and like ready people taking pictures. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> I'm here wearing my just Levi's jacket and nice. jeans, <laughs> and. 
everyone's all suited up. I was just like, no, I'm wearing just street clothes and <laughs> I'm walking to all these just, like people wearing suits and I'm like, oh no, Dude. this is the premiere. <laughs> <laughs> that was the only, well, a couple awkward parts because it was crazy seeing Oprah Winfrey, Steven Spielberg Dang. on stage. Because I was like, that's where I was like, I am not, oh my God, I'm not dressed for this occasion. Holy shit. Because <laughs> I thought it was just a screening, but no, we're, we're seeing all these like people walk in. I was like, oh no, oh shit. <laughs> you know, this is, <laughs> and then right as Steven Spielberg's talking, someone's phone behind me goes off, like <gasps> with a ringtone. Like, and I'm me, just there like, <laughs> looking at Spielberg, he looks directly right at oh me. My God. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> It's the person behind me. <laughs> not me. <laughs> One of the Hollywood legends just like, oh, he doesn't like me. Just, just like, that's not, no, it's not, it's not, no. Cooked, it's like, give me that stink eye, kind <laughs> of. And I was like, no, it's not me. No, he hates me that's now. I can't watch any of your films. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, no, dude. It's like, you can't to be an Amber Alert because everyone's phone would be going off, you know? Yeah. So it was like, dude, no, why is this happening? So, yeah, she was, you know, with a nice, beautiful premiere. Everyone looking suited up and dressing nice. And here's this phone going off with this casual <laughs> guy in jeans <laughs> and steven silver giving him the stink eye probably for both things like yo like <laughs> that ringtone and what are you wearing you know Why like a grandpa would give you that look a little bit <laughs> grandfather Dude. so it was it was wild man well, I, you know, I, i'm I was, sorry you won't be able to watch any more spielberg movies now i maybe for a minute i'll have to take a break <laughs> Well, cool, man. Thank you for sharing that. That's cool. A real insider we got right here on the show, you guys. <laughs> no, man, I'm just, just a guy. Just just, I'm just I'm just a plus one. I'm just a lucky, a lucky plus one, man. I'm very grateful. Um, well, cool. Let's get into the last four. I will go first and just kind of uh, run through mine because I don't, I don't have a ton to say about these. So I've been, like I said, kind of into thrillers, kind of into Christmas movies recently farthest away i watched the silencing which is like a 2020 thriller with game of thrones nicolage i don't know how to say nikolai coster waldo Nicol with the is it a silent j but it was a cool movie it's basically like a guy's murdering people in the woods and on nikolages Nic i should have looked that up coster waldo's land and he's kind of hunts him down. It was good, though. I hadn't heard about it. Uh, just sounded kind of fun. After that, I watched the Trailer, Bar Trailer Park Boys Christmas special, which, you know, if you like Trailer Park Boys, it's it's awesome, which I, I have a soft spot for them. And I like the good Christmas stuff. special. It's a fun one. It's like an origin story. I've never seen so it. It's like a prequel to the show, yeah. actually, which is just kind of fun. After that, I watched Fred Claus, which this is a horrible, horrible Christmas movie. It's a decent movie. It's fine enough. It makes Christmas like a corporate thing where like even Santa's like ruled by a board of people. And like, so he's going to get shut down just because um, Kevin Spacey's character is like in a, in oh, yeah, reviewing their yeah. work and, and he's going to shut them down and like fred claus is the brother vince vaughn and he's just like a huge like jerk and never really like uh, it was just a weird movie it's like all just like a business movie it makes all of christmas real san is real it's all real all this all the people are real and then takes all the magic away from it and it's like yeah it's all real but it all just sucks you know the same as any other thing where everybody's just worried about money and deadlines and uh, you know getting shut down so it's really depressing like 
weirdly, Paul Giamatti plays Santa and he's just like stressed out. And Mrs. Claus, he has like high cholesterol and like he's obese. And so Mrs. Claus is constantly accusing him of like binge eating, like as a, you know, and wants him to go to like therapy for it, which was like depressing. And then Santa also just like so depressed that he like hurts his back at one point. So he can't do Christmas. And it's just like, wow, this is the most depressing version of Santa I've ever seen. It's horrible, horrible movie. I hated it. I was upset while I was watching it but it's a horrible Christmas movie. It's a fine, just like movie, but horrible, horrible Christmas movie just kills all the magic. You know, I, I'm going to have to agree because that's a movie I've actually, I've wanted to try to like, cause I've given it chances. Like I saw it back then too. I wasn't really digging it. And I think it's the guy who directed wedding crashers. Yeah, that's that makes why sense. Vince Vaughn's the star, but I, I see what you mean because like it, it is a really weird one. After that, I watched Black Christmas, which was somehow yeah. less horrifying than Fred Claus, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm excited to talk about. I watched it last night, and uh, that's my last four. Go ahead. Uh, you're up. So my last four is one we kind of mentioned earlier, the, uh, the the number one Netflix movie right now, Leave the World Behind, yes. directed by is it Sam Esmail, es- es- I think. Esmail. And I know he's known for what, Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot's the big thing for sure. That's the big thing he does. And yeah, you know, I agree. There's some fun stuff in it. There are times that, you know, I, I think I liked your letterbox review about mentioning it's like kind of the happening. Like, and you mentioned it as the happening. <laughs> and actually, I was like, oh my God, I got to rewatch this too and like maybe catch that. But it was actually, you know what? I was kind of surprised of how much I was really invested into it. I really thought it was going to be a little more like, uh, but I was actually like, oh, I'm actually really watching this. I'm really like, want to know like okay what is Mahashala Ali's thing you know what what, are, what is really happening because it really does is toying with your head of like okay the RDs are everyone here is good or they're all bad in their own ways you know it's kind, of, it's kind of toying with you on how you really read all these people it really is just kind of a character study and a contained like home I don't know my only issue I guess with the movie I think is when it gets to its resolution it almost felt like they didn't know how to truly end it kind of I feel like one of the most controversial points is the ending so I feel like it's you know, we don't have to go too far into it, but to finish off on Leave the World Behind, I just feel like it has that Netflix problem where sometimes where I always feel like I don't watch that's why I don't watch as much that many because sometimes I always feel like, oh, they get half baked, like they have good concepts and good stuff, and then they just kind of cop out or like don't have a real like good resolution where it's like, okay, it's cool, but it's like, man, okay, maybe there's some things you gotta expand in on. It just leaves me with those kind of things. And yeah, so after like, you know, we couldn't get into that Wonka screening. I just went home and said, you know what? I want to cheer myself up with some chocolate and I had some candy and rewatch Willy Wonka and the nice. Chocolate Factory. The original, I, got, I right? bought the new, see, yeah, yeah, the OG, 1971, nice. Gene Wilder. And and that one, I uh, Black Friday, thanks to Black Friday, Amazon had such a good deal. So I got it for like 10 bucks, the 4K, the the new 4K restoration of the movie. Awesome. And holy, holy moly, man. Very, man, they, they did it right. It almost feels like they kind of like made something more creepy about like before they go to the factory. It almost feels like it got a little more grimish in a good way, where hmm. it feels like, ooh, I'm feeling more like a horror vibe. And then when he gets to the factory, it's all beautiful and colorful. It's cool. like, oh, the saturation is really well done. The other premiere <laughs> I'll mention, the last one for, for now, is The Rebel Moon Part One, nice. directed by Zack Snyder. Nice. It makes me just happy. This was actually originally written to be a Star Wars movie, and Disney is like, nah, no. And then still goes and makes it and still makes it his own original universe yeah. with his own kind of rules and sets. And I, I really appreciate and admired that. I really was like, yeah. you know what? You could tell he's passionate of like 
with this creating this world and putting these new characters he just created into like this universe and still has there's still an adventure to it yeah we'll see we'll see what happens yeah. we'll see what they'll take this part too but i'm happy for Zack snyder i really admired it and wish i could tell you more about it but it was fun it was fun it was fun being at the premiere and got to at least just meet him for a moment it was just also like dude i told him you the man when he walked by i was like thank you man he smiled back at me and pointed and i wish i recorded that dude. but hey it's a moment of treasure in my memory in my brain that he acknowledged and smiled back yeah that's cool man yeah, it's exciting. I'm I'm definitely excited to check it out. I really like Zack Snyder. He seems to care a lot about everything he makes, which goes a long way for me and like really is invested. Yeah. All right. And then the next movie I watched, it is the movie we're going to talk about today. Got the new wonderful 4K edition. So I was really excited to see it. Let's take a quick break and we will be back to dive in. The easiest kind of movies to get financed and to get distributed in the system were horror films, there was no question about it. I didn't want to do porno, that was the other, so it was a tactical move. I liked the genre, I enjoyed it. So we had the Living Dead had just come out a few years before, so we thought we'd do an homage, kind of a, with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, too. We are back from the break. Black Christmas, 1974. You picked this movie. Do you want to talk about your history with the film? You know, I think it goes all the way back to my love for the my 24-hour marathon of A Christmas Story all my life. Just <laughs> every Christmas Eve, it's like, I got to put it on, put this on in the background. I don't know. And I was like, I love watching that movie. It's one of my favorite childhood movies. And, Chris, and it makes me think about Christmas a lot. Wait, That's, so you do a 24-hour marathon of A Christmas Story? Oh, I, I don't watch it all. I always just have it on playing somewhere. If I'm at a family's house, I'll be like, I'm playing in the background. Nice. I'm just there vibing, you know, eating good food. It's like Christmas stories on. Nice. And everyone's watching. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great movie. But then growing up and loving the horror genre, discovering that, wait, there's a horror slasher movie directed by the guy from A Christmas Story called Black Christmas. I don't know. Both movies have this uh, style of Christmas, like the, the wides of the, the beautiful old towns and the houses, the lighting. It's like it almost feels like it's you're seeing the, this beautiful, wholesome side of Christmas and you direct this dark side of Christmas. And I remember as, uh, as a kid going to the movies and seeing a poster for a Black Christmas remake. The poster intrigued me. It was like, oh, Black Christmas. There's something that gives me this tingly, like unsettling feeling about it. It made me interested to see it. This is a movie where... It's about a killer, but we don't even see the killer at all. You just see POV mm -hmm. shots, voices, and like... This is, the, this is where a POV is good, because this really creates the more like... You're in this weird, you get sucked into like the evil's perspective and it's like gonna, it's like an animal, like a creature itself, you know, because you don't, you just see like silhouettes and eyes and him like, yeah, it's me, Billy, it's me. Oh, I'm sorry, you have the wrong number. What your mother and I must know is, where did you put the baby, Billy? You've got the wrong number. Where did you put Agnes, Billy? Look, I'm telling you, you have the wrong number. What your mother and I must know is... And it's scary because, like, like it kind of reminds me of, like, Reagan sometimes. Reminds me of, like, the demons of the exorcist sometimes. Yeah, I can see that. Like, it just has... It's, like, gives me that same untingling factor of hearing Reagan's voice or, you know... Uh, 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 
Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. This is a movie that that exists, and um, I wish I was di- living in the seventies watching this movie and be like, "Whoa, like this is like quite like the new Psycho in a way, the new you know, like the big." Because also you can say like Psycho is like the seeds, the seeds go into the slasher. I know it's not really a slasher movie, but it has slasheristic like seeds of what we kind of see today. You know, this this reminded me of Psycho a lot, and I feel like it had to have been inspired by to some degree because like. Again, uh, for this is just for speaking from my film watching experience. This is the earliest movie I've seen that has POV, like a killer POV. It felt very innovative that way, and then it reminded me of like Evil Dead, where you have the shot of shots of the demon kind of point of view. Yeah, the obvious one seems to be Halloween, but when I I watched this before I watched Friday the Thirteenth, and mm-hmm. watching Friday the Thirteenth after this, I felt like it was majorly must have been somewhat of an inspiration for as well you know i think so i think that has to be a big influence on that movie because when you mentioned that it's like yeah totally that's totally a black christmas the pov is similar and the way it's like shot too has that same kind of like yeah because even in black christmas also similar because he goes from saying he's billy to like another name agnes or something he keeps bouncing around like billy yes, my brother they, or at something at one point they're wondering if it's multiple people yeah yeah it's like he's splitting around you know like this is like a a really like interesting way to be like we don't even know what the heck this guy's deal is you know we don't what is he talking about with brothers you know i have a whole story a sub story about Billy and Agnes. They are brother and sister, I'll tell you that much. In my story, they are, some, <coughs> Billy has abused his younger sister. There's a history spoken and unspoken. The unspoken part of it is perhaps Billy killed his parents, perhaps he sealed Agnes up for years. There is a remake being done with a very wonderful uh, uh, team of a uh, young writer-director team, and uh, they're going to go further with the question of uh, of Billy and Agnes and Peter. We obviously are pulling a, a puzzler at the end. Uh, could it have been Peter? There are two reasons why it probably couldn't, especially the ending is clearly it couldn't be because he's still alive. The other one that I think I wasn't quite deft enough is when Peter comes downstairs after the one obscene phone call. He might have had time to do all those things up there, though I doubt it. I wished I had had Peter come down to Olivia on the phone with John Saxon a little quicker. So you would have said, gee, I don't see how it could have been Peter. But there are other reasons, if you want to think about them, why it really couldn't have been Peter. He didn't fit the uh, some of the uh, criteria that were needed. So let me give a recap, a quick recap of the movie then. It's pretty simple, be pretty quick. There's a sorority house and they are all getting ready for Christmas and and getting ready for the holidays. Some of them are going home, some of them. And one of the girls is murdered in the house, and we see that her body is still in the house. And the rest of the movie, they're looking for this girl, essentially. More girls start disappearing. They assume everything is happening outside and somebody's breaking in. So everybody's focus for the killer is... Uh, is outside of the house 
when we as the audience know pretty much the whole movie that he is in the house. And I think pretty early on, maybe like halfway point, we learn he's up in the attic hiding up there. And that's where mm-hmm. he's got the dead girl. He continues killing. There's this big mystery. There's this awesome scene where they're trying to trace his calls. And yeah. I, this is probably my favorite yes. part of the movie. Yes. And so they eventually they trace the call. And this is the origin, or at least, again, from my point of view, of the call is coming from inside the house. This is almost the first When a Stranger Calls, too. Like, When yes. a Stranger Calls is almost a remake you're just taking it from a sorority house to a single babysitter mm-hmm. but it's basically the same concept and the cops figure out it's coming from in the house and then there's a boyfriend who's been kind of weird kind of angry they catch him breaking in the cops are happy with it they kind of thought it was him anyway they all, so the boyfriend gets pinned for it and as the credits start to roll the girl is alone in the house and we pan up to the attic and we can still hear the guy shuffling around. And the last shot is the girl. The first girl who was killed is still in the attic and still they didn't even find her body. And so the guy's still there. No one's been caught, actually. No, no And we don't know who it is, according to the original. And it, it ends with the phone ringing over the credits where the phone is, you know, he's still calling. So nothing, nothing is resolved, really. If anything, it's worse off than when they started because now they think it's resolved. I'm telling you, this is one of those movies on my list. Of my, I should make a list of like sometimes just the final moments, like the last moments can really affect the entire movie. And that's why endings matter yeah. too. You really has to, you have to nail a landing. And because in this film, as you said, like, you know, we can find out about the guy still in the attic, but the whole movie's can making you like really, really push for you to believe it's her, her crazy boyfriend that's like, kind of like has psychotic breakdowns and moments where he's like he's casual but no he's like he's screwed up he's like the most insecure guy (laughs) ever you know he's a pianist and there's like there's two moments that could have been the catalyst driving him crazy first yeah his girlfriend who's one of the girls in the sorority house tells him she's pregnant but she's gonna have an abortion and he doesn't want her to and so he's really upset about that yeah i'm pregnant Yes, that's fantastic. I don't want it. You don't want it? No. I'm going to have an abortion. You can't make a decision like that. You haven't even asked me. I wasn't even going to tell you. Jess, I want us to have a baby. Peter, I can't. Oh, Christ, Jess. He's also a pianist and he's trying out for like a music conservatory thing or some kind of tour, some something. It's a big thing he's trying out for and he doesn't get it. And so there's like a scene where he smashes up the piano that he was playing with the music stand. And that both of those are kind of like, see, this guy's crazy. The big indicators of what could be setting him off. But again, it's not actually he is crazy, but he's not a murderer. I get it. I get his his pain. It's like, oh, he loves this woman so much, but she's not feeling that way. She's this woman. Shout out to both Kira Duella from 2001: A Space Odyssey, which is I never. Yeah, this is the only movie, other movie I've seen him in. It's like cool that like he's in this big iconic, you know, one of the greatest movies ever, and and then here he is in this little horror movie. Another iconic movie, though. No, and he was great. Yes, yeah. he's very creepy. He reminded me of Norman Bates a lot. Like um, we've already brought that up. But oh, very yeah. Norman Batesy. Yeah, kind of reminded me of um, Clockwork Orange guy too. Al- Alex is that his name? Dude, which is awesome. You bring that up because I was looking at the trivia that uh, 
Malcolm that was originally casted, but then he had to drop out, and then he was actually no way. And he, dude. And he actually, when he saw the movie, he was like, "Oh, shucks, I should I should have done this one instead of so, I forgot whatever." It was some I could be wrong, but there was some conflict that he could, he couldn't do this movie, and he felt he kicked himself in the head thinking I should have done this movie. The lead actress, I feel like I recognize, or she was the lead for some of the movie. Yes, uh, Olivia Hussey. Shout out to her too. I mean. I discovered her in the uh, the '68 Romeo and Juliet in high school because I remember watching that. Like, wait, she looks familiar. Oh uh, yeah, okay. Because <laughs> I think that's I know she's in more. I know I looked up. She was in the It miniseries, and I, it's been a while. I haven't, yeah. I haven't fully watched What's that. The Tim Curry one. Yeah, and but yeah, I know I remember her from the Romeo and Juliet movie. I remember that movie being made an impact. <laughs> but it's crazy, but that was her in, in a whole different movie. It's like you're getting, and she was good in that. I remember liking her in that Romeo and Juliet movie. She had a nice, wholesome vibe. She was cute. Yeah, she was a good Juliet. <laughs> she was a Juliet. She was a Juliet. And here she's kind of kind of like a Juliet, but an anti-version of Juliet. It's like yeah. she's rejecting love, rejecting this guy's love, if you know. But Black Christmas I took because I had just given birth to my first child. And I'd never done a scary film. And Bob approached me to do it. And I just loved the whole idea of getting away from home leaving the baby for a month, going there and doing something I'd never done before. And being the heroine of this very frightening plot. Somebody else I really liked in this was Margot Kidder. Oh my who gosh. Who was uh, Lois in the Superman yeah. movies, I believe. And she's also in Halloween 2. I think the new... Wait, Margot Kidder was in Halloween 2? The Rob Zombie one, the 2009 Oh, she one. was in that? Yeah, she was apparently. Let me see. Rest in peace, right? I think she passed away. Oh, did she? Two years ago. Horrible. Yeah, she did. Oh, Maddieville Horror, she's in as well. She was in a lot of cool stuff. Dude, and I, and I hope I don't sound bad, but like she died at age 69. And in this movie, she makes one of the most funniest sex jokes in the film with the cop in the film. I mean, he's almost responsible for multiple deaths in that movie. <laughs> he was the most incompetent cop. Yeah, and he, he deserved that laugh, too. That was, that was a funny scene when the other cops were like... That was pretty funny. What's this? Well, that's the number at the sorority house. Felicia? Yeah, it's a new exchange. F.E. New exchange? Yeah, Felicia. One of the girls that was in this afternoon gave it to me. Boy, sorry, rest in peace, Margot Kidder. Sorry to make a sex joke about you. <laughs> she died at 69 <laughs> i mean her character her character in black christmas would appreciate it i was gonna say she's the to me she's the most fun part of the movie i was really bummed uh when she dies she gets killed about like halfway through maybe towards the last act yeah but she's definitely she's like the funny kind of snarky one of the sorority house and she's like drunk the whole movie mm. so she just gets more and more drunk and more and more crazy until she passes out basically but she was great i was um i was very enamored by her i was attracted to her because she was wild and out of control and um, not the conventional leading lady, which was always the boring part. Well, I remember when I did my homework back in the hotel on this one, and I can almost see the hotel room, the idea was how far can I push this rather than, whoops, that's not very safe. I think she's the, the most iconic Lois Lane, right? Like, to me, she she is like the, when I imagine Lois Lane, it's her version of it. Yeah. But yeah, she was great in this movie and had fun moments, but also, oh yeah, and I love that scene too where she's, uh, 
uh, which is with her that that drunk that drunk Santa, and she's also giving that kid alcohol. I was like, oh, this girl is. <laughs> She is corrupting. Yeah. She's just corrupting left and right. You know, telling it's like a little like ten year old kid, and she's just pouring champagne. She's pouring champagne. down his gullet. She's teaching old men about fellatio, and she's teaching little kids how to drink. Like this woman is just corruption all around. She's a she's a force of nature in the movie for sure. Yeah, and very memorable. She's got memorable moments, and especially it's unfortunate her scene when she's in the the bedrooms with the man. I can't look at those unicorn decorations anymore. I was man. gonna say she gets. Yeah, oh. she gets unihorned <laughs> right in the chest. Oh, dang. No, it was rough. That's rough. Yeah, horror movies can always be a little confusing, and I had no idea till I saw the movie what had happened. I knew there was a scene in which I was wrapped and stuff and blood and all that, and we were laughing so hard when we were shooting it. Yeah, I was bummed when she died. I, was, uh, I couldn't remember who died when, so I was rooting for her to make it yeah. pretty far. Because I'd seen this once. I saw this, I think, three Christmases ago was the first time I watched it. I just looked at my letterbox. Because I remember you, yeah, you, you uh, mentioned to me one time when we, when we hung out. You're like, dude, did you buy this Black Christmas or something? You mentioned about that. You were asking <laughs> yeah. about this. And you're like, I, that was awesome. You're like, that was an awesome movie. I just saw on the voodoo and I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. And then, I, yeah, I didn't know anything about it, really. Yeah, it was, a, it was a fun one just to walk into on accident. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you watched it. You know, I'm glad we shared this wonderful Voodoo account. You know, it's like forget streaming. We got this little private thing. It's the best <laughs> recommendations, man. Because I know anything on there has got to be something worthwhile. Ah, oh, thank you. Somebody, somebody with good taste picked it out. So I mentioned earlier, for to me, this is one of the earliest movies I've seen. Do the POV of like a killer villain, which is pretty common. It's like low budget. It's really effective. So it looks like it was one of the earliest North American films to do it extensively, according to this article in imaginations.space. But I guess it really was inspired by Italian filmmakers of like Mario Bava and Dario Argento. Oh, snap. Like a, oh, wow. there's a brief killer POV sequence in Bird with the Crystal Plumage from 1969 by Dario Argento. And then Bava's Twitch of the Death Nerve. And I guess like Argento made it, Dario Argento? Argento made it a big part of his filmography. So that was like something he would use a lot, apparently. Oh, wow. But but yeah, one of the earliest North American films. And, and like I said, for me, it was like, it felt earlier than i thought because that technique i recognize is like a 90s television thing like i remember a lot of like scary kid shows using pov so they didn't have to show the monster but you could still have the monster's presence yeah like i remember there's like a tv show that had a werewolf scene and the werewolf's point of view was bloody and they kind of ran like it was running like um evil dead at the camera, you know, and it, or at the house with the, the main character, but we never saw the werewolf till the very end. It's a fun one to have like backtracked this far. And so I'll have to watch Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Plumage. Yeah, I'm curious now to see that. I remember one movie, I can't remember, it was a 30s film where they did a moving camera, uh, subjective point of view for about 10 minutes in the movie. It's a reasonably famous movie. It's the only time I've ever seen it. Seeing that the one time I was it was real clear the cameraman and the arm were not the same. I didn't want that effect. I ended up making a body brace which basically allowed you to place the camera right on your shoulder right here and it was hinged and it had like a safety belt at the waist which which held it on 
and it had a pad down the front so it would allow, I could lift it up and that would allow the camera to tilt up like that. When I read the script, we had all this POV stuff and I said, you know, I think I could probably go over and even climb up that trellis with this whole setup. I know we did it the first day that we shot at the house. Once they saw that, they knew they had, well, you know, we basically got the right technique and things to use throughout the picture. Let's talk Bob Clark, because so Bob Clark also directed, you mentioned this earlier, A Christmas Story, yeah. which it's hilarious that these, the, the range of iconic Christmas movies he's made. <laughs> he also did Baby Geniuses, <laughs> which if you're a 90s kid, probably is one that you watched. And I, I loved Baby Geniuses. So like Bob Clark's range in his career, like he also did a movie called Rhinestone with Sylvester Stallone and Dolly Parton oh, as snap. the leads which uh, is now on my watch list after I see that really interesting. And just like really, really cool that he never got like tied down into a specific genre. Kind of, kind of like we did a uh, Harry met Sally kind of like Rob, Rob Reiner. Reiner yeah. I feel like Rob Reiner, you can't really, he almost oh, did yeah. like no two movies that were in the same kind of vein. That's true. They, they, they're, Hey, they were trying things out. They're trying new kinds of movies, you know? But how do you go from Black Christmas, Christmas Story, and then Baby Geniuses? Like, what is that? That's a wonderful jump. And I mean, I think we're just in that age group that loved it and appreciated it. But that came out the right time for us because I remember being a little kid and being like, this is like another like crazy fun oh, movie and really likable kid. The whole baby was kind of fun. And it was just bizarre, but it was also just like it didn't take itself kind of seriously. I think he was just like, these are just babies talking and kicking ass. Oh, <laughs> it's just like what <laughs> fun. They have an abandoned theme park scene, which I love. I love abandoned. Like we yes. talked about that in Batman Returns. Oh, yeah. And it's crazy that even Baby Geniuses has something in common with both Black Christmas and Christmas stories. Both are so raw, rawly shot. Like it feels like. It doesn't feel like it's normal. Like it feels like everything feels natural. Everything just feels realistic. And because there's a shot in Baby Geniuses, I remember where he gets all intense at the end. Where like, where like it's not even just about the babies. No, the parents are involved with some corporate bad guys in there, and and, oh, and yeah. the dad tries to jump to the helicopter. It, was, it felt like Die Hard. It just felt like a real action movie at one point. And yes, and he, and he falls, and it felt like dramatic. Like oh crap, he's gonna die. Like no, this is like serious now. And they both have that naturalistic moments because he's good with that stuff. Yeah, and there's like a heavy thing with baby geniuses too where they're gonna like forget everything at some point like they die basically not literally but the baby genius dies and they become just normal babies at a certain point like they forget everything oh, and so there's also this like thing where you're waiting there's like a clock ticking where the the they're gonna move on and forget each other and so there's there, i remember that being pretty like heavy and fun for a kid movie yeah they can't you know what you're dragging my memory because i have i honestly haven't seen it in a minute i think we were trying to watch it on youtube years ago at your place we were like oh this was, we just found i don't know why yeah. we we're talking about it and then for, <laughs> for some reason and then you, you brought it up and we're like oh shit maybe yeah i used to watch this too and because it was not on streaming anywhere youtube had a, no. had some weird tv like edit or something on there we watched something like that yeah. we were just there have vibe in and we're like you know what good food let's just watch baby geniuses you know we got some pizza yeah it's fun revisiting those childhood favorites you forget about and you're like wait i used to like love this movie i should watch it again that's crazy <laughs> Just looking at Bob Clark's filmography, he also did Porky's One and Two, which is crazy. You know what? It's what that also blew my mind. Kind of a cult classic, isn't it? 
yeah, you go from like baby geniuses to also Porky's, which is like a sex comedy. And I, I remember I put it on one night, and it's one of those movies I, I was loving it, and I just knocked out. It was just so late at night. It was like two in the morning. I just wanted something silly. But I remember liking it, and also being like, there's something also like creepy and like, because Bob Clark, man, like, because even like in Christmas Story, when it goes to like the window shots, it also feels like, oh, so yeah. like, I don't know. There's something bizarre about like, it's like an outsider looking into their house, you know? It's like someone peeping into hmm. their life. It's like it's like it's almost like a perspective of a guy on the street just watching his kid Ralphie or something now, you know. Interesting. There's a little bit of like a voyeur. <laughs> I'm only thinking this because of Black Christmas and then Porky. That's interesting. Yeah, I just felt like okay, this is something peepy Tommy about these movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to watch a Christmas story again after revisiting this. It's a nice double feature, actually. <laughs> watching them back to back. Can you feel it's the same director? Like, is there, yeah, interesting. Like, I guess that's what you were just saying, but it's fascinating. The, even, the, even the Christmas music is old-timey in both movies. It's not, like, modern, like, you know, wham, like, Christmas. It's, like, I know Christmas Story is a period piece in the 40s, and this is in the 70s, so, like, but still, the vibe is there. The vibe of, like, it's almost like this is his view on, like, how to make a, a holiday Christmas movies. There's one that's, like, a, a wholesome kids movie that anyone can enjoy, and then you have this dark, scary one that, all those sickos out there who want to see a horror movie during Christmas, you know, here's this really dark, like this unsettling movie where you just, I don't know. This is the first time that makes me like, oh, I think of Christmas and I just think, oh no, there's Billy behind my tree. Like, <laughs> they're going to attack me, you know? I always laugh now and rewatching because when you rewatch it, you're like, hold on. Like, there's, come on, there's that attic that's just kind of open. It's like, uh, <laughs> nobody thinks about looking up. This one was especially crazy, especially because the fact that the bodies in the attics remain there. Yes. So they never even find two of the oh, girls. First, or the, the, the first girl in the... Um, the house mom. House mom, yeah. yeah. So they're, they're still up in the attic, you know, with the killer by the end. Yes, and, and, and it's scary because... He puts the body by the window. That's one of the scariest things in this movie. Yes. And this is like an example of this. How you can make eerie stuff without utilizing loud sounds. Just just enjoy just like something creepy looking at. Like you see a, a dead girl with a literally a the plastic bag just wrapped in her yeah, face. Yeah. Little baby bunting. Daddy's gonna hunting. Gonna fetch a rabbit skin to wrap his baby in. And just the slow zoom out from her face in the window to the a wide shot of the house outside is like, I think the last shot. And that's when the phone starts ringing. Yeah. And you see it just rocking that chair, too. It's just like seeing the head bop. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, this is the highest level. No one no one's up high looking at that. So no one will ever know that it's right there. Yeah. It's almost like a sick gag here. You know, you see beautiful Christmas lights and you see it just as dead girl this dead woman and literally no resolution like they didn't even find the bodies like there's still a whole nother round of figuring things out that needs to happen to resolve this and and, and for the horror genre that's okay it's some, that's scary that's what's scary about this movie the fact that billy is literally in the act the whole time and yes. and by the end making you think like oh yeah like that's why they did a good job establishing uh 2001 guy when he's you know bashing the the piano in the beginning it's like okay it's a, yeah he's doing that but he has psychotic breakdowns where he really forces you to believe that and it even ends even if people don't even look at the people checked out before when the camera's panning i hope they don't because it's like that's that's like the payoff for all this thinking you think that that guy's a killer oh, that, well we all suspected it he was psycho but that last tingling moment just changes the whole movie when you get to that attic and hear that laughing or 
Billy up there, and the body's still rocking there because of the shots, and and it's just like no, this is that that's horrifying, and and and, and I think like. I want to say in the movie, every time like the phone rings, there's always a kill or something. Every time the phone, they're doing something, there's going to be another kill. And the fact that that all the cops left and the paramedics left, just like, we'll just leave her here. Yeah. Don't even bring her to the hospital after what she's been through. Don't even leave her. And like, and she's like on sedatives. Like they literally say, well, you got to talk to her tomorrow because she's going to be out cold for at least the next four hours. And so it's like, oh, you see, you literally left a comatose girl alone in this house where you guys didn't even get the killer. I knew it in my gut it was that kid. Why would Peter start killing people? I don't know. He must have made a call after after each murder. It's hard to believe Jess would kill anybody, much less Peter. Well, she's under. How long do you think it'll be before I can talk to you? Just a couple questions. Well, she'll be out for at least four hours and pretty groggy after that. What time do her parents get here? A couple of hours. They're driving down from Unionville. I'll stay with her till then. But the condition she's in, I wouldn't count on talking to her before tomorrow afternoon if I were you. It's, a, it's heavy. It's a, it's a depressing movie. That's like kind of the big takeaway I had, which where I was like, this is like a downer. It, you know, I enjoy it, but it's like everything is sad. Like the first girl they kill, it, all they talk about is how innocent and like wholesome and naive she is. And so it's like right away they they take the most like sweet kind person in the house and and kill her and then the dad so the girl the first girl who's killed the reason they really realize she's missing at all is because the dad comes to pick her up and they can't find her and the dad is just this really quiet sweet like conservative guy small guy and just the whole movie you know there's no mystery for the audience other than who's doing it but we know she's dead we know she's just upstairs. And they're all walking around a at risk, but then also just the fact that you know I, I felt so bad for the dad character. I, I really, it's so hard to watch him because he's so nice, and then you know he just got gets fucked over so hard, <laughs> like it's the worst nightmare possible. Excuse me, I hate to bother you. I can see that you're busy, but I wonder if you could help me. You see, I was supposed to meet my daughter here at one o'clock. It's past now and she's still not here her name's claire harrison do you know her claire harrison yeah i think so i know she lives in a sorority house it's it's called um uh, pi uh kappa sig oh of course yeah well kappa is our sister sorority uh some of the girls are over here today but i haven't seen claire uh the place isn't far i'll tell you how to get there Dude, and I, I'm happy you brought him up because I was also going to bring him up too because I felt like his character gets shit on the most. It's, and, and the first time you see him, he gets a, a snowball to his face, almost like this is like a yep. like the, yes, like a finger yes. to him already, like a gag, like like screw you, man. Even just some school kid picking on him. Yeah, yeah, it was just messing around, and it's just like, but it's still, you feel like it's just an innocent guy. It's just a guy that just you know, he's just you wondering where his daughter is. You know, like what happened to his daughter. Yeah. And, and just picking her up to bring her home it's not even like like he doesn't even go yeah. there knowing she's missing and like yeah the first scene of him is like my daughter was supposed to meet me here but i can't find her can you after he gets hit by the snowball yeah and the teacher is kind of passive aggressive to him oh yeah it's a sad movie it's really sad and like you really like all the sorority girls who end up getting killed they're all pretty likable and cool yeah uh, another one i wanted to shout out was andrea martin 
who's been in a ton of things as well, like my big fat Greek wedding, yeah. Night at the Museum. Yeah. I feel like I recognize her for more stuff. She's in a, the newest season or one of the new seasons of Only Murders in the Building. If you've seen that, she's really funny in that. Oh, I still need to watch that. I've been wanting to see that series. I've been hearing Dude, that, it's so good. I've been hearing great stuff. But she she was really fun and also gets killed. Very likable, also gets killed. <laughs> And she gets killed in the same the room as Margot Kidder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She finds the yeah the drunk sassy girl dead body, and then the door gets slammed shut, and yeah, she's dead. <laughs> this also the detective in this who's who's the competent detective was John Saxon. Yes, who was also in a Nightmare on Elm Street. Elm Street. And is he the detective in that as well? Yeah. He was the dad, but he was the sheriff of the le- the main girl. Okay, there you go. It's funny because as a kid, I you know because my dad's a big Bruce Lee fan, so I grew up watching Enter the Dragon, and he's like, yeah, and he was the co star in that movie to Bruce Lee, and he was also badass Crazy. in that movie. He was doing all kung fu moves, and I guess in that time, like you know, I think our folks probably know that he's probably. I think he's one of those like stars of that time, like the see the t- a lot of TV, did a lot of looks like a lot of seventies action movies and stuff. One of my uncles, I think, mentioned like, "Oh, I had a, I had a John Saxon action figure." I'm like, "What? What's that? No way. <laughs> like, what does that mean? What, what was he in?" So he's in a bunch of stuff, and you know, again, it's not from our time, cool. but it's cool that like, but he's in all these gems. Yeah, like Black Christmas and and and, and Nightmare on Elm Street, Enter the Dragon. It's like it's crazy. It's cool, and he was good in this movie too. I really like them in this movie. I was gonna say he's really he, he's another um, person you really enjoy when he's on screen. I did uh, Enter the Dragon just probably in the same year that I did Black Christmas or within 12 months. Um, what I felt th- that they shared in my estimation of was uh, that they would be successful. With Black Christmas, I, I just sensed, I, I think the, 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 the dynamics of, uh, of tension and, and twists, uh, unexpected turns and so on being uh, something that worked that could hold interest and uh, deliver uh, something that I feel more now than I did when I made it. Yeah, and definitely, like, and it's because he was very, like, on point. He was the one that's like, all right, we got to find this guy. We got to find this killer. And the, all the scenes with him with the, the telephone line stuff was fun, just hearing him. Oh. Yeah, Nash, what is it? A phone company's on the other line, sir. They say they got a trace on this one. Yeah, let's have it. He says the calls are coming from number six, Belmont Street. For Christ's sakes, Nash, you got it wrong. That's where the calls are going into. That's where they're coming from, too, sir. That, that I think, was my favorite part of the movie both times I watched it. And so they're tracing the call. And, like, usually growing up in the 90s, like when a stranger calls, the 2000s one, you know, you imagine tracing a call as, like, a computer thing, and it probably is now. But this, they show you the network room for the telephone lines, and you get to follow the guy as he's literally trying to find the switcher that's turned on when the call is being there. Mm -hmm. And so he's literally just running around this giant server room, it feels like, for the phones. Yeah. And and trying to hunt it down. And the calls aren't lasting long enough. And so everybody's, like, calling each other. And it's great, too, because the detective is calling the house. 
and the serial killer. And so each phone call, you don't know who it's going to be. And so it creates like so much stress. That's why films like a beautiful time capsule, because in the 70s, this is how they do it. Instead of these people on computers, yeah. you know, and all their high tech equipment. We saw a guy back then literally running across from like side oh, to side. Dude, of it's just like loud. And there's, the, you know, all these fans running. It was it was really fun. It reminded me very like a Spielberg kind of like <laughs> Jurassic Park. Like we need to turn the oh, switch totally. on kind of moment. Like, yeah, it just had that kind of grounded but like really exciting kind of thing like almost like boring but it's so bo like so boring it was like amazing and that sequence is fun those were like whoa I'm like well, is he gonna get it is he gonna get it yeah <laughs> and it, it takes you out of the house the whole movie's basically set in the house or or indoor locations like you go to the piano place there's some stuff on campus but i feel like that is really a break from the college campus kind of setting of the movie which i appreciate at that point in the film because that's towards the end where you're feeling really claustrophobic like this movie also does a really good job of making you feel trapped in the house like they're continually trying to protect themselves from the outside yeah. but we know that they actually would be safer outside of the house. So the more they try to protect themselves from the outside of the house, yeah. the more claustrophobic and trapped you feel. Like they're trapping themselves and they don't even know it. And so there's a really good psychological effect where you feel the the walls coming in on you throughout the film. Yeah, and especially when like the moment, like when she's telling them the killer's in the house, they find out the killer, the calls are coming from the house. and And the fact that like, that one guy was trying to like get her out of the house, but she, she still goes in. Oh my gosh! That scene, stupid Nash. And they, I was like, girl, <laughs> fucking idiot. Come on! It's like, come on. So yeah, he, he was. It was he almost had it too, and he just had to like blow it I right know. there. And it, He's so dumb. He should be fired. I kept saying that. I was like, this guy needs to get fired, man. He's oh, getting people hurt. Oh, I know. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Please, Miss Bradford, please just do as I tell you. Okay. No, 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 don't do that, Jess. Yes. The caller is in the house. The calls are coming from the house. Jess! Jess, get out! And don't go up there. Yeah, see, he's responsible for all this, some of this, too. Kind of. They would have been, they might have saved a life or two. But I guess the cop, the main detective fucked it up in the end anyway without <laughs> catching the wrong guy, you know. Or imagine if, like, I know it's, I don't know, maybe this is reading into it too much, but imagine if he's a possible suspect, too. Maybe that's why he's a bad at his job and not knowing Felicio and stuff like that. Maybe he's pulling another character, like a real psycho. Dude. I don't know. Dude, okay, so a perfect segue because this is the big question I have. Like we've talked about, major cliffhanger. You don't ever find out who the killer is. Not only do they not catch them, it's never revealed. We never see their face. We never get any identifying information about them. Do you have a theory about who the killer is? And if you have evidence from the remake, I would love I would love a little context. It's very, yeah, because it's very bizarre. The remake, they really delve into like, this really was like a, a guy that really was living in an attic or get, he gets punished in an attic with his brother in, in, the, in the 2006 version. That's why the, it's very bizarre. It's almost like if you want to keep it canon in your brain, I'm sure it could be a sequel, but unless if you don't like it, then you don't have to think about this movie again. But it was also, yeah, it really, it, but it was kind of like, I have to give it a watch because I only saw it once last year and I was kind of like, 
kind of like i mean i wasn't hating it i was almost like hmm, okay you're really trying to give some interesting like it's almost like they're trying to do like the rob zombie halloween where you give backstory yeah. on the whole michael myers which i know this is the baby people either love it or just like they weren't into that you know and then interesting arguments on both sides for that but anyways but yeah this movie that remake was trying to really give a backstory of this like kid who was like really like abused by an evil mom and stuff and you find out that yeah the house in the sorority house is it was a childhood home and he's just like he pretty much is like try to you know live back in his home you know and and it's just almost like he doesn't want these people living in there kind of thing do you think in the first one the original is it somebody we know in the movie like is there any evidence because i haven't looked into the mystery of it i I always figured it was just a rando, but is there any clue that there we know the killer? Not that I know of. Every time I watch, it, I'm trying to pinpoint like stuff. That's why right now I just realized maybe maybe that one dumb cop could be because he's also segueing like things and maybe screwing things up and maybe or but but the thing is he was calling there. How do you get to the house right away? It would have to be like one of the other boyfriends, but we do see it's a slender guy. Cause it almost looks like he has the same green sweater. They, there's a few times they show shots where you can almost see the same green sweater as the wrongfully accused guy. Yeah. Another mislead. Yeah. You know what? You know what? Maybe. Cause maybe the first boyfriend, maybe he was a weird psycho and maybe he's psychoing all these people to stuff, having to pretend to hunt with the, the other father, the father of the girlfriend. And then yeah. and the cops, you know, it's almost like he's trying to segue him around. Yeah, there's one guy who gets very involved, who's like immediately uh, the girlfriend of the British. No, 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 no. Oh, the, the first boyfriend girl, yeah. of the yes, the first girl who died, and it is usually the boyfriend who who's doing it. And one of the things that's a red flag is a suspect offering to help with the case. Like so, you know, sometimes yeah. that's like a a red flag that they want to get involved. <laughs> yeah, and so like that is interesting. I don't know. I'd be curious. I'm probably reading too much into it, but it is. It does seem like maybe there's more hints to to who the actual killer is beneath the misleads of the the misdirections of the boyfriend. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, it's a fun movie. Like I said, though, it is it is a downer. Not a downer in that I didn't like get a, a kick out of watching it. But there's not a lot of levity, especially once they kill Lois Lane. Yeah. But I think I think but I think also that it is a downer for sure. But I think that's also the hor- that's also one of the horror parts of that aspects of the movie. It is like the horrifying thing yeah. in life sometimes. Like that's why that murder case I think was inspired by like the Zodiac killer. Some of these things are unsolved. Some of these are a mystery. Yeah. Do we even know who the Zodiac killer is? I don't think we ever really found out. Maybe Arthur Lee Allen. Are we? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Rest in peace. Not just kidding. Don't rest in peace if you're a killer. <laughs> But who knows? I think that's also that that aspect that like that does happen, and I think those murders inspire like is a holy event, and something tragic happens, and that then doesn't get solved. It's just so frustrating, and and because that happens, unfortunately, so it kind of captures yeah. that that feeling. Because maybe it isn't a movie to show, but it is very well made. It's a very well made movie with good filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean downer as a criticism. It's just not like Friday the Thirteenth can be pretty fun. Yeah, if you're not really that. worried about the people dying. You know what I mean? I yeah. just want to give the impression that this is like an 80s fun slasher. Yeah. You really, like, it, it, it is, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm miss, I'm not, I'm trying to hit like a middle ground I can't find. Yeah, it, but I it, hear you that. You care yeah. about the characters a lot and their deaths are like sad. Like these are, these aren't just like Jason killing a bunch of kids at camp. This is like, it's heavy. It's, it sucks. Like I, I really, 
in a good way like, and you want that's the point you yeah. feel bad for them and so so i think it's a f- highly effective that way but man this movie i'll be honest like this movie and the extras i think about when i want to think about something truly scary that tingles me like these these movies come to mind and then both this and the Exorcist both have like such unsettling moments that you're like yeah why, why am i rewatching this but there's also some like this wonderful craft and to really pushing some boundary to make you make effective moments, make effective scenes with sound. Cause the screams in this movie are also like as scary as when Reagan's screaming in the exorcist, they both have this Dude. tingling, like, you know, like uncomfortable. Like I, I was watching it so loud. My windows were closed, but I was scared. I was going to wake my neighbors. Cause I was watching it really late one night. And and that was like, Oh my God, this is loud. And I was kind of like feeling kind of sleepy. And then it was, yeah. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> and my, my, my sound bar was on a full blast too. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, shit. dude. And I was like, okay, I'm I'm awake. I don't need coffee anymore. This is like, <laughs> this is me staying up now. Like, cause that that yeah, it just has a tingle. You know, both Reagan and and Billy here, they have this like power that just like effective power. That when I think of something horrifying and and in those moments, I don't know. These movies just come to my brain a lot. There's an interesting fact, but it's technically a rumor because. John Carpenter was at an event with Bob Clark and Bob and I think John Carpenter was praising Black Christmas to Bob Clark saying how fantastic the movie was and and he said like I'm trying to think I can make a sequel but maybe it's not Christmas Halloween <laughs> and yes it sounds like a rumor I know this is like two stars aligning but but how crazy is like it, and it's just so <laughs> the movie's parallel there's a lot of POVs in Halloween iconic the iconic yeah. opening I absolve John Carpenter every time by saying there is truth to it in the fact, the facts are that I was going to direct a film that John wrote a couple of years after Black Christmas. He was a big fan of Black Christmas. He was just beginning his career. And John had asked me, whether he remembers or not, I think he does. He may not. He asked me if I was ever going to do a sequel. I said, no, his film was the last horror film I was going to do. I had started out, I have great admiration for the form, but I didn't start out to be just a horror film director, but be a director. I wouldn't say I wouldn't do a horror film again, but right now that was not, in the, I had other films working that were going to be different. But if I did do a sequel, he said, what would you do? And I said, well, what I thought I'd do is I would make it the following fall. Somehow in the interim, the killer had been caught. He'd been institutionalized. And I would have him escape one night, and uh, now he's free in the community, and nobody knows it at first, and he starts stalking them again at the Black Christmas sorority house, and I was going to call it Halloween. (laughs) Now, when you think of what John Carpenter did, wrote a script, really quite different from that idea, just the basic core of it, like a sentence, cast it, directed it, edited, did the music, you know, what is it? Oh, maybe the title Halloween, he should have given me a little footnote, but I didn't own that either. And I'm sure there were probably eight other people thinking of, it was amazing to me that no one had ever done a movie to that point called Halloween. He could have made probably a far less effective film and still been a big hit just because it was called Halloween. It wasn't less effective, it was a terrific piece of work. So I think John Carpenter did nothing but take a germ of an idea. Why shouldn't he have? Nothing kept in front of but I think it was influenced, yes, as were a few others.
interesting fact Elvis Presley apparently this is one of his favorite movies like ever and I think wild and I think in honor on Christmas the family watches this movie it's like I don't know if that's a rumor or something but I was like what Elvis Presley like this is one of his favorite movies So, Wild. you know, having his musical career, but that's so interesting. It's like, you think he's like this nice, like warm guy performing. I know he had ish- there's issues in his life, but just, just like, I just imagine him going to like the movies. Oh, Black Christmas. Or it must have, must have spooked the guy. Like, oh, that spooked me. I don't know. I can't do the opposite yeah, impression. He's just like, <laughs> he's like horror like, movies. He's, he's like, oh, he's like, oh, she's like, <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> here we do, sir. Hey, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> hey now get out of there ladies <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool hey movies reach yeah, out to all kinds fact. of people you know especially like a legend you know like that's it's, it's wild elvis presley used to watch it every christmas and the presley family to this day still watch it priscilla and lisa marie watch it every year sound design we kind of talked a lot of the, about a lot of the elements but just in general this is one of the most skin crawling like sound design movies like ever for me like i'm just like uncomfortable the whole movie the phone calls are really distressing the phone ringing just that sound effect is really distressing the pov shots like i said it sounds like you're in the killer's head so the breathing is just like very loud and very like asmr in the worst way possible yeah and like a lot of the soundtrack is like just like piano keys being smashed together kind of yeah. and like letting them ring out so there's always just like ringing piano notes that are kind of disc dis, uh not not pleasing discordant dis- i can't think of the right word yeah. very uh flat and 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 d- disturbing and it really is just like a a claustrophobic movie visually editing wise sound design wise you really feel stuck in the house with these girls even though you do leave sometimes it's not the whole movie yeah yeah to me the the real feeling i leave the movie with is that you're just like stuck in this house with this guy breathing over you the whole movie there's such a silence in the movie there's long landscapes where uh, long sequences where you don't really hear any of carl zittrer's very sparse piano music which is beautiful as well and it's just quiet, you know, punctuated by Christmas carols here and there. I knew I was going to have to do something different. Now, what does different mean? So I started listening to avant-garde composers, to John Cage, to Morton Subotnick, who's one of the early electronic people. So I tried every kind of sound I could think of. I had an old upright piano that I twisted and turned and detuned and And I think, let's say if I tried a hundred things, maybe six of them worked. And then in the mix, a lot of this music was created in the mix. I brought in textures of things, wind, toned wind. I think we often have to train the audience prior to that scene to realize that when I hear that, something really bad is going to happen. It has to somehow connect with something that the audience feels organically. I'm glad you bring out the musical parts because even the boyfriend character was that that sequence is playing the piano. It was almost like, this is like the notes of the movie almost. It's almost something really like, almost that's why it deceives you that way in believing it can be the boyfriend because all this hums is like this, you know, yeah, it's like part of like, I don't know, I guess the tingles, the jumps in for the film, you know, it's very effective when it gets to those notes and 
almost like surrounding like she's kind of haunted by the boyfriend because the whole movie is really about her just trying to get an abortion and this is the guy that's kind of like yeah. kind of like getting like so kind of like unsettling Possessive and, you know? yep. for peter uh or care delay uh well we had music for this already uh, you know it had to be the order was make it something very strange i i think we we uh, we did that part rather well, yeah. uh, but Keir Delay played the piano. He listened to what we were playing, and he sat and played it. Uh, you see his shoulders and his body motion movements, and then for close-ups, I did it. I put on Keir Delay's wristwatch and sport coat and <laughs> was shot by Bert Dunk and... Uh, and then and it was all cut together, and that's how it happened. Also, like thinking about that, because it could be also uh, kind of like I want to say I have. I mean, I could be wrong, but it's kind of reminds me of Scream, the original, and we realize it's not just one killer; there's two guys, and it's almost like this movie's like Scream a little bit too. And there's like you know, there's two different kind of threats happening, and and the fact that like I know it's confirmed he's not the killer, but who knows? He was also psycho too, and you yeah, know, doing things, and maybe like. There's also just so happens to be this other creeper too. I don't know. It's I feel like it's kind of cool. It's kind of planted the seeds for like that. Yeah, there's never just one. You gotta think there's also multiple creeps, you know. But it's it's interesting though that like yeah, the film the way it deceives you, and this is the one that made me want to rethink and rewatch because I'm like yeah, I need to look out for stuff, but I still feel like yeah, I, I still can't. No, I don't know. I think that's the thing. You you just don't know. You don't know who the killer. Yeah, it's the I think the, the goal of the film too, to confuse it. Even in the commentary track, Bob Clark's being pretty vague on some stuff in there too yeah i was like yep here's the killer he's the, you know, doesn't want to say <laughs> still doesn't want to give anything away that's so funny yeah oh another a, a cool detail i noticed this time watching there's one point where they're tapping the phones and the phone technicians coming in to do it and they talk about tapping mrs mac who's the house mom yeah who's also awesome in this movie yeah her phone and he's like no that phone hasn't been rung yet don't worry about it yeah. and that is that the phone he's calling from every time is that was that like the moment they could have caught him oh my god like yeah that's why he's able to do it from inside the house is there's two phone lines but then they think that the first one's the mrs max phone line's not getting rung so they don't bother mm -hmm. but i wondered if that would have been that was like one of those moments where again they could have caught him so much faster if they had tapped the other phone too interesting yeah who knows because i bet they would have been able to see there was an outgoing call from it and so that was i, I thought that was a cool detail because that was one thing i thought about was like how, how is he calling them from inside the house without a cell phone but there's multiple phone lines they make a point of pointing that out how's it going you about finished yeah, what I've done is I've tapped this phone so that when it rings, it'll ring at the station house, too. At the same time, I'll be at the phone company checking on the location of the source of the call. Are there any other phones in the house? Uh, yes, the house mother has a Yeah, but it's room. another number and there haven't been any calls in. You're going to have to keep this guy on the line as long as possible. And again, this is why film's a beautiful time capsule, because look at the times back then we had just had house phones. And I still remember living and being a kid and like house phones were still like, even anyone would reach you through there like, oh, is he here or is this person here? And you talk with it. Yeah. Before, I still remember pre-cell phone a little bit. Oh, totally. I hated calling people because you had to talk to the parents. Yeah, I know. It's always <laughs> a gateway, huh? I mean, hey, that's how we were on the, I feel like it was, <laughs> like, damn, I mean, that's just safer time, man, because you have too much access of freedom now with, with modern yeah. technology. Pros so and cons, kind of, I'm sure. I, I pros and cons, of course, of course. 
but but it's just like interesting to see like look at the 70s and how they all communicated that way and stuff seeing the telephone yeah. lines and it's fascinating it captures a whole different it's era cool. and they really utilize that technology of that time and it's it's beautiful yeah it's kind of interesting and you it's know it's a neat movie i definitely i would highly recommend it i don't know i gotta rewatch both remakes but the one in the 2006 i, I admire their it was like a nice try like, okay you're you're trying something and you know yeah. you're trying to also capture that spirit of the original but it was kind of goofy it was almost like it was weird it's a strange movie i i remember being like okay i didn't hate it but not the worst thing i've seen but this was something at least it was like okay you're, you're trying to do some context and in a way if you want to connect it to the original it could be a loose sequel but the the 2019 one was actually i, I was pretty disappointed i remember being like oh this this was kind of a bummer this had potential like this is like your chance to like because i was i mean blumhouse was successful from the halloween movie it's like okay they're doing black christmas this year i remember being like intrigued like oh crazy oh there's a rem- actually i was kind of excited i was like maybe there's a chance to do like something maybe i don't know push some boundaries maybe do a cool like really horrifying version of that original but i just remember being so like oh it's like a generic cw it's one of those movies like i was like oh man like i I can't (laughs) i just couldn't watch finish it or i finished it but i just remember being like disappointed like oh this this had potential you could have done something more they make it like this safe it felt safe it also felt safe too it didn't feel like there was something memorable because i can't remember all the scary moments nor the movie if you make a new horror movie, it doesn't have to be modern, like, now. Like, why not make it back in the 90s, the 80s? I know some people are doing that with Stranger Things and whatever those Fear Street House movies. House of the Devil. House of the Devil. See, that's the good example. And I also, I was a fan of the, I really enjoyed Thanksgiving, the Eli Roth movie. That movie has some, there were some Black Christmas moments in there with POV, but in that movie, I, I loved it. But the more I think about it, the only the only, the only thing I, I wish it was in, like, the 70s or 80s. If you really wanted to make a grindhouse, then you should have done it, like, in that time period because the, hmm. the whole modern technology and social media it's like sometimes i see instagram i get distracted like oh <laughs> it's like uh, it can stuff. take me out of movies yeah because sure. <laughs> it's just too like because sometimes i think that's the beauty of escapism you really want to create a world and really just you know even that's not familiar i don't know, maybe familiar to some but sometimes it's nice to leave like the real in current time stuff sometimes out of movies it's like makes it just like oh that's like oh come on like that's just we all use that right now but i mean not no disrespect to the movie but just i just like to see things yeah put, put back in the old era like why not like make a new kind of horror movie like i said house of the devil is a good example of the 70s movie. it was the 80s i can't remember but it was it was also but in those time periods it might have been 80s 70s 80s because it had that cool little that jam in the opening <laughs> that, that track yeah 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 i don't know that that one too that might be going up on my list soon because that that i keep thinking about House of the Devil, and I want to watch it like every Halloween. It's like I gotta watch something like this. Thank you for sharing this with me. This is probably gonna become a Christmas staple, but it was a fun one. Like I said, it was perfect. I was in the mood for Christmas slash like horror thriller, so I, I'm grateful. Yeah, and if you watch it and you feel like down about it, just put on Christmas story. So Bob Clark's got it. Still got another wholesome thing for you. Christmas is not all bad, you know. You got to start with Black Christmas and with Christmas Story. Don't reverse them. <laughs> yes, yes, don't reverse it. You don't go from good to evil. You get the evilness out of the way, and you get to the nice, like, oh, yeah, Christmas is nice. Christmas is fun. It's sweet. I think I might as well. I think I might do that and still put it on on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. I'm just playing for, like, a whole, bit, a whole 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, you got to do it, man. It's tradition for you. Maybe I'll do it in honor of you. 
Well, <laughs> as we wrap up, favorite line, do you have one? I guess the line that scares me the most is like the calls are from the house or something. Like or, uh, when the calls, the calls are from the house. <laughs> I think mine is Barb. I can't remember what the context is, but they're saying like, uh, how's it look? Talking about Christmas decorations or something. And Barb was like, Eulish, very Eulish. <laughs> Which I liked a lot. Oh, that was fun. That's a good, that's a good one. Thank you to anybody who is still listening. We will be back next week with our Christmas specials. We're going to be doing a movie review of Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. And I think that's what the subtitle is. We'll have some giveaways for some digital downloads to movies. It's going to be very fun. Uh, and everybody, go watch a movie. Go watch a movie.